The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. MLB show. Here are your hosts, the luckiest men on the face of the earth, Chase Podorski and Bryce Holden. Welcome to episode 57 of the Underdog Sports Baseball Show with Bryce Holden. As always, my name is Chase Podorski. Uh, we have a great show planned for you. I'm uh, going to talk a little baseball and we got a rewatchable with the co-founder of this podcast, Alex Spector. We are welcoming him back to the show after a long hiatus, but we're going to jump right into our usual business, starting with Yankees number 57. Um, currently, the Yankee that's worn it the past three years is Chad Green. Um, Bryce, I got a question for you on Chad Green. You know, at this point, do you think the Yankees will be content just keeping him as the one to two inning reliever, or do you think long term they're still going to try to stretch him into a starter? Um, this season will be in the pen. I think he's best served in the pen. Uh, it's like the pewter principle. Some of these guys are good at what they're at. They're good at what they're good at. And if you promote them, you might end up having a serious backfire. And I think Green's one of those guys who would be an all right starter at best. Like at best, he'd be an average three. Um, so why not have the extra A arm in the bullpen? Totally agree with you. I think that is a perfectly spot-on answer. Three number 57s that I want to highlight on the Yankees. Um, do you remember Jake Westbrook? He pitched for the Indians and the Cardinals in the 2000s. Yes, I do. He was uh, he was on the Yanks, you say? Yeah, so he wore number 57 for the Yanks in 2000. All-star pitcher, people forget, was a Yang. Um, Drew Henson wore it in 2002. And, yes, that is Drew Henson, the football player, if you can recall him. He was uh, Brady's teammate in Michigan, right? Yep. He played for the Cowboys and the Yankees. Doesn't get more capitalist and American than that. Um, And the last number 57 I want to highlight was from 2014 because I truly do not remember this guy being on the Yankees in his road back to baseball. Um, And that's Rich Hill. Yeah. Okay. Another. So I don't know what they're doing with the 57 number. The best 57 we've ever seen, probably Johan. In baseball, um, I mean, Johan's pretty great. I'm going to see – I'm going to do a quick Google search, 57 in baseball. Johan, when we were kids, I mean, I was a little younger than you, but the first best pitcher in baseball that I got to watch was Johan. Yeah, that- for, me, for, me, I, for me, I would probably say Clemens and Pedro were like my two defining ones. But, yeah, Yo, I mean, Johan, I remember – From those guys. Yeah, it's like as much as the Yankees have always owned the Twins over the you know the past fifteen years or so, um, Johan absolutely owned the Yankees in that in those peak years. He owned everyone during his peak, so I think he deserved more time on the Hall of Fame ballot. He definitely should have yeah. three straight Youngs, but definitely shouldn't have been a one and done. I agree with that. Um, this is something I'm talking about with you for the first time on the podcast, which is very rare. Me and you talk. Usually multiple times a day. Um, but did you see one of my tweets went semi-viral this weekend about baseball? No. 
I, uh, I missed that one. So that's okay. So I, you know, you and I, we've talked about a lot of them on the show, you know, baseball writers will post, you know, name your all insert blank here. Like last week we did our all, they forgot they played for the Yankees team. Two weeks ago it was, you know, name your team of the 2010s, whatever. Um, so Mark Carrig, who lives in Cedar Grove, New Jersey, not too far from me. He's the national baseball writer for the athletic. Um, I tweeted at him saying, you know, cause he's been doing a lot of these. What's your all underrated team of players you saw play in your lifetime. Um, and I gave him my team. I'll tell you the team in a second. Um, and Mark ended up retweeting it and, uh, it got 59 likes and like 35 responses, which, you know, for schmucks like us is a pretty good number. Schmucks like you, Chase. I'm shooting for bigger. Hasn't been working out, but <laughs> I don't know, that's pretty cool. Let's go through the team. All right, I'm going to give you my team right now. So my catcher is uh, Jason Kendall. Oh, okay. Well, is he underrated or bad? No, I, dude, he's a, as a catcher, you have 2,100 hits and you hit 295. That's a good career. Done. Good sell. Um, you sold me. And I'm going to say, some of these guys, for me, it was hard to find the balance between like underrated or overlooked, if that makes sense. Um, and that kind of plays into the idea with this next one. It's kind of like what you just said with Johan in the Hall of Fame, honestly. like For me, Carlos Delgado was my first baseman. I mean, everybody knew Carlos Delgado was a slugger, but you know the fact that he got 2% of the Hall of Fame vote with 1,500-plus RBIs, 473 homers, and was totally clean – to me, that makes him underrated. I think he's pretty uh, pretty accurately rated. People know he's real good, a lot of homers. If he had gotten that, I think he was second in the MVP one year. 2003, uh, A-Rod. Yeah, and that legacy changes a lot if he, uh, if he wins that one. But Yeah. My second baseman was, uh, you remember Placido Polanco? How could I forget? 06 Tigers, right? Yep. So Polanco's my second baseman, you know, just a real, real solid on base guy, um, holds errorless streaks at multiple positions in the field. My shortstop big, a guy who I feel like we saw in the playoffs every year when we were young, Edgar Renteria. Did we see him every year or did we see him 15 years apart? Oh, he was on those Cardinals teams. So I take it back. Yeah. I mean, he got game winning hit in the 97 world series, uh, for the Marlins and that he's on all those Cardinals teams. MVP in um, World Series MVP in 2010, right? Yeah, and the Giants team at the end. Um, so Edgar was my shortstop. My third baseman uh, was Michael Young. Just feel like a guy hit 300 every year with 200 hits. Never really got the love because he didn't hit a ton of homers. Michael Young, perfect pick, Chase. Uh, my three outfielders, uh, the sabermetric community has really taken up the cause of one of them, uh, which is Bobby Abreu. Too much. Um, he actually got overrated because of the sabermetrics guys, but that's fair. My other two, um, Garrett Anderson, if you remember him, just had a much better career than I remembered. I don't remember him well, but I know that Maglio was almost in a an A Rod trade and batted like three seventy one year. Did you look at my tweet, or and did you know I was about to say Maglio, or are you just? I pulled, up, I pulled up the tweet. Oh, okay, yeah, Maglio was my uh, third outfielder. Uh, my starting pitcher, Mark Burley, was a very close second. But to me, Tim Hudson, you know, 200-plus win guy, always pitched in big games well. Um, and my relief pitcher, at first I was thinking K-Rod, but, like, that would be too easy. Papelbon, everybody knows Papelbon. So I went with uh, Houston Street, a guy who pretty casually had, like, 300 saves. Yeah, relief pitcher's tough because it's, you know, 
there are like, and I mean, we'll talk about this more when we get into major league, but you got a lot of flash in the pan relievers and Houston street short peak, but stuck around longer. It doesn't really get the recognition for, I mean, 300 stays is pretty good. No, a hundred percent. Um, and my other thing on Twitter, um, David Wells answered my question in a Q&A, and I was pretty stoked about that because he's kind of my baseball spirit animal. Well, let me see. What was the question? I asked him, who would be your all-time drinking team of you and uh, four of your teammates? And he said, oh, shit, that's a tough question. And I said, in my mind, if it was you, David Cohen, and Don Larson, that's all you need. And he gave me a like and a retweet. Okay, that's fun. So you want to have a perfect game committee? Yeah, well, it's pretty amazing that all three Yankees who pitch perfect games are kind of well-known functioning alcoholics. Um, well, who would be two good ads to that? I'm just thinking of Yankees. Of anyone that David Wells played with? Maybe Clemens. Would, Clemens could be fun. Uh, yeah, I think Clemens would be up there. I got to think you- Pettit. Rank. I yeah, mean, I would think you just want these like these big Texans and let them have at it. You know what I'm going to throw in there too, Matsui, with the sake. Yeah, just like you know, crushing Sapporos. Yeah, I'm not a big Sapporo guy, but I like big Sapporo golf. Game is ridiculous. That game is ridiculous. That game's good fun. Um, but on a serious note. Um, we just want to pay our tribute to Hall of Famer Al Kaline, um, the career Detroit Tiger outfielder. He passed away this past week on Monday at the age of 85. Uh, the Detroit Tigers issued a statement saying one of the most distinguished and decorated players in the history of baseball. Mr. Tiger was one of the greatest to ever wear the old English D, the Tiger said in a statement Monday. The Hall of Famer has been a pillar of our organization, organization for 67 years. Our thoughts are with Mr. Kaline's wife, Louise, and family now and forever. Kaline came up at 20 years, 280 days, became the youngest batting champion in American League history. He had 300 or better in nine seasons and finished with a 297 lifetime average, over 3,000 hits, 399 homers, won 10 gold gloves, and was one of the three best as one of the three best defensive outfielders in the American League. Um, 1968, finally won the World Series for the first time in his career. He had 379 with eight ribbies, 11 hits in the series. Um, he actually, and this was kind of a surprise to me, um, not that Al Kaline was a first bout Hall of Famer, he received 88% of the vote, um, but that he at the time was only the 10th first bout Hall of Famer ever um, after the initial class, uh, which to me, that that's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's, I mean, these, the Baseball Hall of Fame is so weird. It's, the voting system is tough and People don't like people don't like letting people in. Yeah. Um, per Jason Stark, um, Kaline, Ichiro, Roberto Clemente, and Willie Mays are the only players with three thousand plus career hits and ten plus gold gloves. Um, Kaline never played in the minor leagues. He played all 2,834 games in professional baseball with the Tigers at the major league level. He was a longtime TV broadcaster for the team. Uh, we're sending our best to the Kaline and the rest of the Tiger family. Um, but this got me thinking. I mean, you have guys who are, you know, Al Kaline is Mr. Tiger. Ernie Banks is Mr. Cubs. Um, you know, the Yankees, who we both root for, obviously, I mean, if you don't know that by now, listen to more of the podcast, I guess. Um, the Yankees have so many retired numbers, so many guys in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Who would you say, if you had to designate a Mr. Yankee, who would it be? I've given this one a lot of thought to get to my answer. 
Yogi. Dude, same answer. Yeah, I, I it just he won the most rings. Yeah, I, mean, that, I think to me that's the obvious starting point is the most rings and the three MVPs as a catcher. And he's quotable. And he stuck around the organization his entire life. Oh, but he was a Mets manager. Hmm. Yeah, but that to me, I, I just think like, you know, I think you have like Ruth, but Ruth only won three three rings. You know, Ruth, Gehrig, it was so early. I, I just think like the Yankees became – like, they became the best team in baseball under Ruth and Gehrig, I think under Yogi, because he was kind of the bridge from, like, the Joe D through the Mantle era. You know, I think under Yogi, the Yankees became the sports juggernaut that we know them to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would go Yogi. I would think he would be – he's the perfect – he's what the Yankees want to be. Jeter, tough sell on Jeter, especially now that he's – He's doing all this nonsense with the Marlins. I mean, I'm sure he could get it. If Jeter, if Jeter actively sought this title, he, uh, he could have this title. But All right. I'm glad you and I were on the same page for this. Um, so as we know, today's Saturday, April 11th. There's still no baseball because of the coronavirus. But one idea that is being floated, uh, sources told ESPN, is that the MLB and its players are increasingly focused on a plan that could allow them to start the season as early as May and has a report of a high-ranking federal public health official who believes the league can safely operate amid the coronavirus pandemic. Though the plan has a number of potential stumbling blocks, it has emerged above other options as the likeliest to work and has been embraced by the MLB and MLBPA leadership. The plan, sources said, would dictate that all 30 teams play games at stadiums with no fans in the Phoenix area, including the Diamondbacks Chase Field, 10 spring training facilities, and perhaps other nearby fields. Players, coaching staffs, and other essential personnel would be sequestered in local hotels where they would live in relative isolation and travel only to and from the stadium, sources said. Federal officials at the CDC and a prevent- at CDC, as well as the National Institute of Health have been supportive of a plan that would adhere to strict isolation, promote social distancing, and allow MLB to become the sport- first professional sports to return. Um, again, I mean, the big things here, the hard parts would be getting lodging, getting the league and the union to agree to a deal, um, transportation, security, getting their families, how you would do spring training for two to three weeks. Um, a big thing would be instead of dugouts, so players can social distance, they would literally sit in the stands during the games um, and, you know, come come in and forth, come back and forth to and from, you know, the field. Um, possibilities that I've discussed, uh, according to sources, to make this rule work um, includes implementing an electronic strike zone to allow the plate umpire to maintain sufficient distance from the catcher and batter, no mound visits from the catcher or pitching coach, seven innings double headers, uh, regular use of on-field microphones by players as an added bonus for TV unit, uh, for TV viewers. Um, so again, this would make for a very unique baseball experience, um, but it would be this big you- for the game just because one, it would be back, and two, you can at least get some TV revenue all of which led to the MLB issuing a statement that said MLB has been actively considering numerous contingency plans that would allow play to commence once the public health situation is approved to the point that it is safe to do so. While we've discussed the idea of staging games at one location as one potential option, we have not settled on that option or developed a detailed plan. 
While we continue to interact regularly with government and public health officials, we have not sought or received approval of any plan from federal, state, or local officials or the Players Association. The health and safety of our employees, players, fans, and the public at large are paramount. We are not ready at this time to endorse any particular format for staging games in light of the rapidly changing public health situation caused by the coronavirus. Give me your initial thoughts. My initial thought is that's ridiculous. There's way too many hoops to jump through and... Uh, obviously we all want baseball back, but are players really going to sacrifice all this time away from families, um, to play in these games, get isolated out in Arizona or Florida for five months and really just trap themselves. And that seems like a lot to ask out of these players who are human beings at the end of the day. And I think, I, I think a much more likely and probably mutually beneficial um situation would be waiting it out even if you really condense the season to maybe 81 games to get have people in their home parks uh because especially if this thing does we have a resurgence come fall and then you're just gonna look like they're gonna look like morons who wasted all these guys time just for a little bit of additional tv running revenue um and also to that point baseball is the one sport that really the baseball TV contracts aren't their big money maker like the NBA and like the NFL. Baseball has a hundred. Baseball has eighty-one home games. A lot of their money comes from gate, so they're fucked regardless. Because I don't see fans coming back. Yeah, I mean, I think the big. I, I agree with all of your points, and I do think having pretty much the entire baseball world in one location is just not a good idea. It's like you said. Say everyone's back in Arizona, all, all, you know, suddenly gets hit with a uh, sudden wave of the coronavirus, then baseball is screwed long term, not just in the moment. Um, and you mentioned the revenue. I mean, there's been articles that I've been reading, even more so than Major League Baseball. I mean, minor league baseball was kind of already in dire straits because of the idea for a retraction on the major league level. Um, but this, I, I mean, Minor league teams don't have TV deals. They're strictly relying on attendance and revenue generated from the games. So minor leagues, they're in more dire straits than even the big league teams. Um, but I'm with you. I, I don't think this is a very good idea. I don't think it's safe. And honestly, I don't even know how much the fans would necessarily be into it. Um, but an idea that was floated, if they do want to go, you know, the specific location and empty fan route, um, Bob Nightingale of USA Today reported the idea that um, there would be no American League and National League this season because, again, like you've talked about, we all know this season is going to be unique no matter what in the history books. Uh, so this would kind of take that to the extreme where all 30 teams would return to their spring training sites in Florida and Arizona and play regular season games only in those two states and without fans in an effort to reduce travel and minimize risk in the midst of the COVID-19 panic. Um, divisions would be realigned based on geography of the spring training homes, and the plan uh, would allow teams to return to their spring training sites for three weeks of training, which would also include exhibition games before opening the regular season and playing a schedule with new opponents. So in the Grapefruit League, the divisions would be the Yankees, Phillies, Blue Jays, Tigers, and Pirates in the north, the Red Sox, Twins, Braves, Rays, and Orioles in the south, Nats, Astros, Mets, Cardinals, and Marlins in the east. Moving to Arizona, in the Cactus League, in the Northeast, you'd have the Cubs, Giants, Arizona Diamondbacks, Rockies, and the Athletics. In the West, you'd have the Dodgers, White Sox, Reds, Indians, and Angels. And in the Northwest, the Brewers, Padres, Mariners, Rangers, and Royals. Um, in total, there would be 26 ballparks available to be used, including three major league dome stadiums, um, the Trop in St. Petersburg, Marlins Park in Miami, and Chase Field. 
uh, in Phoenix. From a TV standpoint, you could have games pretty much playing all day, eleven starting at 11 Eastern time in Florida. Still have primetime games for East Coast and their fans while allowing West Coast to also have primetime when those are done. And even with realignment, they could still play 12 games uh, piece against their new divisional opponents and six games piece against other teams in the state. There would be at least one doubleheader a night when all teams are scheduled to play because of the odd numbers of teams in each state. And the DH would likely be universally implemented as well. Honestly, look, if this season's going to be, you know, fucked up no matter what, let's do this idea. I honestly don't hate it because you mentioned this last week. I said it would give baseball fans a unique watching experience because these teams never play each other. It would give a unique vantage point of the baseball season. I know you would ideally want the American League and National League to happen and for baseball to operate business as usual. But if that's not the case, I do think this could be a fun alternative. Uh, And selfishly, as a Yankee fan, you put us in a division with the Tigers, the Pirates, uh, the Blue Jays, and the Phillies, I'll sign up for that every day. Are are there grapefruits in Florida? (laughs) I don't know. I haven't been to Florida in a minute. Like, what the fuck kind of name is that? On the... (laughs) Like that was that was my first takeaway, or it finally took me twenty two years to put it together. Like, are grapefruits indigenous to Florida? It's like in base, it's like in basketball. The Lakers moved to Los Angeles, where there are no lakes. But yeah, um, I think it's de- like it's fun, but you're like you're really like taking you're really making it a tough sell in the long run if you're trying to legitimize the season by making a ridiculous realignment. And like, granted, it makes sense given the circumstance. But if I'm an Orioles fan, I'm thinking we might win 10% of our games in this new division. Like, they're, they're in real bad shape. Uh, who else? Big winners from this? Dodgers. Well, Dodgers actually division... Oh, Dodgers actually get tougher. Um... That Cactus League Northeast is pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, it would be, it would definitely, I mean, look, there's, like anything, if, even if baseball comes back to oh, the North, North there's going to be teams awesome. who get the shaft with the schedule. I mean, there would be teams that benefit more so than others. Like, for instance, if you're an Astros fan, you know, you you now have the Nationals, Mets, and Cardinals. You're, you're probably not thrilled. Yeah, but if you're a Brewers fan, you have... You go from the NL Central, which we thought would be the most competitive, to Padres, Mariners, Rangers, Royals. You're running away with that division. I honestly think the biggest winner would be um, the Athletics because I still think they were the clear number two team behind the Astros in the AL West. But I do think in a division with the Cubs, Giants, Diamondbacks, and Rockies, they become the favorite. I think the Diamondbacks should be the favorite, plus all these games are at home. That is true. The home field, they, they would be pretty much the only team with, you know, home field with any home field advantage just because even though the Rays and the Marlins play there, I don't consider those home field advantages. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this whole thing's whack, but the, I, I mean, are you seeing that Brewers path, man? Look at that. No, I agree. Yeah. I think we could, I think we both agree. This is still not a great idea, but it is better than the just Arizona idea. The big lo- I'd say the biggest loser is probably the twins who we both had pegged as a nice favorite to win their division, but now they're going to have to play the Braves and Rays. Yeah, Braves and Rays are a significant downgrade for them, you know, compared to the Indians and the White Sox, who I think we're topping out at 90 wins. Yeah, okay. 
but uh, fun to think about. But again, probably not going to happen. So sticking in Arizona, um, three minority owners of the Diamondbacks uh, are suing general partner Ken Kendrick and the team, claiming that Kendrick is illegally trying to force them to either increase their investment of the team or relinquish their stakes at a price the minority owners say is unfairly discounted. Uh, This was filed Tuesday in a lawsuit. Uh, The plaintiffs are Alfred Molina, Jim Weber, and I am looking for the third name and can't find it at the moment. Um, But basically the three owners are – suing the team because the ownership said that if you don't increase your ownership stake um, to at least a 1% stake in the team, you had to sell your ownership units back to the team at a price of $60 per unit. Um, Ken Kendrick, the managing partner, is claiming that the MLB basically forced them to do this where you know the countersuit by the three minority owners is that the Diamondbacks has sent a letter to the, t- to the MLB saying, would you support this? The MLB said, yes, of course, we love consolidated ownership, but they never explicitly ordered it, if that makes sense. Um, I mean, do you think there's anything to make of this? Uh, To me, it's an interesting story when there's not a lot of baseball, but um, I guess it leads to a general conceptual question. You know, if you're a fan of the team, would you want to see your ownership in the hands of multiple people with voting rights or more consolidated or you don't really give a shit? As a fan – I think as a fan, you want one person that you trust calling the shots. But in a democracy, more voices are, are what you're looking for. Uh, in this setting, again, without knowing all the details, tough to comment and make an opinion uh, and have a fully thought out opinion. But you'd have to, I mean, yeah, the big owner is going to want more money. The big, I mean, people just want more money. And everything really gets... And a lot of these owners aren't in it for wins and losses as much as money. So I'm sure that there's a lot of basis behind these claims, but I just, I, I don't, I didn't see it firsthand. So I'm not really sure. So I read this in the athletic um, and this came from Dr. Meredith Wills, you know, big thing this past postseason was the entire 2019 season. It was the year of the home run for like the third straight year. Balls were flying out of record pace. And then the talk was in the playoffs, you know, the pitchers got a little bit of the edge back. The home runs dropped relatively substantially. um, And everyone was wondering if they had, you know, altered the ball a little bit to keep the ball in the yard during the postseason. Um, And it was interesting. What Meredith Wills did was she dissected over 100 baseballs um, and literally opened up the baseballs to see the serial code on the inside of the webbing, which tells you what year the ball was made. Um, and by doing this, she saw, you know, the MLB there. They were saying all of the balls in the postseason were came from the same crop. This pretty, pretty explicitly showed that a lot of the balls used in the postseason, there were balls from the 2018 year that were thrown in there. You can see from the serial code. Um, so this proved that there was a mix of both 2018 and 2019 balls used in the postseason. Um, but her additional take was that the biggest reason that there may have been 2018 balls used was because there was no longer a surplus of baseballs used in the MLB. It was the first year that the uh, AAA level was using the Rawlings made MLB baseballs. Um, And because of that, there was one team that said at the end of the year, um, they had a surplus of 24 baseballs when all was said and done. That was it. So like a package of baseballs, that was all they had left from the entire season. Um, My question for you is, you know, what do you make of this? Do you think that, this paints the MLB in a bad look for denying for so long that the balls were the same ones from the 2019 season. And now there is concrete evidence that says otherwise, 
Um, and I guess my follow-up question is, you know, what, what can they do outside of producing more baseballs, which who knows if that's a feasible thing going forward to make sure this doesn't happen again? Um, well, the easy, the easy fix is they just have to produce more baseballs. It looks remarkably cheap that they don't produce enough baseballs. That they have to go back to the 2018 stash or whatever you want to call it. It seems like Major League Baseball should have enough money to produce an adequate amount of baseballs. That seems like a no-brainer. And then the denying, again, it goes back to Manfred just being a moron and not putting his foot in his mouth every chance he gets. I mean, that guy is a a piece of work, Chase. He is a real piece of work. I'm with you there. I agree with all your points. Um, And I just think... You know, I just think the biggest thing is here, you know, if you're Major League Baseball, especially now that you have all this downtime, just get it right. Like, this can't happen where you play the entire season with one baseball and then on the biggest stage there's different baseballs put in play because the seams were different. That's the reality of the situation. And to me, this is no different than, like, September 40-man rosters. Like, if you're a fan or even a player in the game, you don't want the biggest games to be where something comes up and has changed on you. Absolutely. It's it's. It's such a fundamental part to the to baseball, the baseballs themselves. And throwing this curveball at players is bad. Denying it makes them look even worse. So Manfred fucked up again. Not a surprise. All right. Before we get into rewatchables, I got three quick little fun tidbits that I want to go over I, with you. I, I have a quick tidbit first. You do your I, tidbit before my tidbit. Yeah, mine should go first because I, I investigated – uh, Florida grapefruit dates back to the 1800s when Count Odette Philippe planted the state's first grapefruit tree grove near Tampa Bay. The fruit earned its unusual name because of the way it grows on citrus trees. Take a walk down a grapefruit grove and you'll notice the fruit grows in a cluster like a bunch of oversized grapes. That is courtesy of our friends from FloridaCitrus.org. Appreciate the research there. Um, so my first thing is... You know, if you're making any ranking of the top 10 baseball movies of all time, Sandlot, Major League, and the Bad News Bears, original Bad News Bears, all have to be in the top 10, right? Either at or hovering right around? Yeah, they're, they're on the short list. I don't know if they're on the shortest list, but they're, they're getting talked about. So I'm pulling a page out of Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers right now, what are the odds that Sandlot, Major League, and Bad News Bears all were released on April 7th? Well, you have to figure that the baseball movies were scheduled to release around the start of baseball season. Right? I think you just solved the puzzle. I think that's it. And then it just maybe happened those three years. April 7th was the Friday. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the logical explanation. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, did you so- want like a different answer? Did you, did you want an incorrect answer? No, no, that works. Uh, so the Athletic, they have been counting down the top 100 players in Major League Baseball history for probably going on three, four months now. They've really dragged them out. Uh, Joe Posansky, the author, has done an unbelievable job really detailing it all. Um, and the top five, every player except number one has been revealed. Um, four, three, two, one. Bonds was four. Hank Aaron was three. Babe Ruth was two. So Willie Mays is going to be named number one on Monday. I want your take on that. Um, what do you think of Willie Mays being named the greatest player in baseball history? I don't think I, I don't think I agree. Well, I don't agree. I know I don't agree. 
But I'm sure you can make a very reasonable case for it if you factor in fielding, power, average. I would probably give the edge towards Ruth just because of how much better he was than every other player during his era. He was on a different level than other people at that time. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think Mays is, without a doubt, the best five-tool player in baseball history. I just think, and, and they spelled it out in the article, how many how many people in the world, let alone athletes, do we still talk about 100 years after their crowning achievements? And Babe Ruth is that guy. Um, and, and, I mean, not only that, it's just for me, it's really hard to not name the guy number one who, if he didn't decide to become the greatest slugger of all time, very well could have been one of the best, if not the best, left-handed pitchers of all time. No, it's very true. I wasn't even thinking that. Um and I would say it's tough to say Bonds, even if you – it's tough to remove steroids from the equation when talking about Bonds. But he's got just a good a, as good a case for number one as the other guys. He was a five-tool guy, especially in Pittsburgh. Yeah. No, I mean Bonds was uh, – to me, the top four that they have are the pretty unquestioned top four in my mind. Yeah, baseball's tough because uh, – do you, do you can you compare pitchers? Who would you say is the best pitcher? Who would you give your number one pitcher spot to, or who'd they give as a number one pitcher? Cy Young, but the hell are we? I can't comment on Cy Young. I I never watched him play. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you in a second who they had. I'm gonna give you the actual answer rather than guessing on my end. Um, I mean, who would I say is the greatest pitcher of all time? I I think it's so like you just said. I think it's so hard to compare. Pitchers. Yeah. And I mean, I, you could make, you could say Mariano if you wanted to, and that's not – you're not getting laughed out of the room if you say a closer because he was so much better than all the other closers. But then the, the easy comeback is he, he was a closer. So they had Walter Johnson at seven as the highest-ranked pitcher of all time. Yeah, even him. That's – I mean, he's not talked about like Ruth. No, definitely not. You know what? For me, if if I'm okay with Bonds being four, I, to me, the number one pitcher on my list, my, you know, my gut's about to tell me Roger Clemens. Um, but I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with a guy who was much much lower on the list. I mean, to me, when you look at the numbers, the teams that he pitched for, and what he did, uh, I'm actually gonna go with the Met. I would say Tom Seaver. Okay. I'm going to go with a different choice, too. I'm going to go, if I had to pick my best pitcher of all time, I'm going to take the big unit. I, I think there's an argument to be made for the big unit being yep. the best ever. I, I think you I, could, I think if not the best pitcher ever, I think you could say the most dominant for sure. Yeah, five Cy Youngs, both leagues, long peak, put a team on his back and won the World Series. Like scary as shit. Not a guy you want to fight with. Yep. All right. Last thing before we get into talking about Major League Two. Uh, if, I'm starting a team, if I'm starting a team with Babe Ruth and Randy Johnson, I'm going to win a lot of games. Yeah, we're going to crush it. Um, MLB The Show, which right now is kind of you know the only baseball that you could participate in because you can't watch the real games, obviously. Um, they have their rankings of the top ten hitters and pitchers in the game. Uh, I didn't I, I saw their tweet, didn't love it. Yeah, so let's go on the hitter side first. Um, 
you know, the top 10, I think, I think Altuve at 93, I think Altuve at 10 is fine because of the past. Um, and here's already where I have a bone to pick. Yelich being nine, you know, I understand, but uh, at the end of the day, Acuna has only done it for one year. Um, to me, the top three in the rankings, three or four, need to be Trout, Yelich, and Mookie, and then Bellinger. You have to reward Bellinger because he was the MVP. Judge at three overall. Judge should be much lower. As much as I love Judge, yeah, him at three overall at 97 can't happen. And Nolan Arenado, you know, and I guess he is a guy who translates better to a video game because he hits a ton of home runs and plays all-world defense. But there's nobody in the world that's going to tell you that they think Nolan Arenado is on the same level as Mike Trapp. Yeah. I mean, I love Arenado. I, I really – I mean, he's, he's unbelievable. Uh, this is strictly a bat. You don't get any points for being like the best defender in baseball here. No, I, you do. It's it's their player rating. Well, that I mean, that's gonna add. I mean, can you case? What's the weakness in Arenado's game? No, I I agree with you. It's just you know I don't think of Arenado. I mean, it should go. It Trout. Trout and Mookie should be ninety nines. Then you probably go Yelich, Arenado, Bellinger. I would put Okunia higher because I really like him. Then I feel like Judge is at this point, and I hate to say it because he's a Yankee. I think Judge is more name than anything at this point. And I know he's young, and like, but he's been so hurt these last couple of years that. Yeah, I, I think he's a guy who should still be, you know, in the 90s, but he definitely shouldn't be a top five player in the video game. Not at all. But he's fun and it appeals to Yankee fans who are, who are a lot of people. All right, moving to the pitching side of things. So number one, DeGrom at 99, I have no problem. Scherzer. He should be. Scherzer at two at 99, he wouldn't be my number two choice, but he's been so good for so long. I'm fine with that, too. Yeah, no issue. No issue there. Here's where I begin to take issue. You have Verlander in three at 94 and Chris Sale at fourth at 93. How in the world is Garrett Cole not ranked ahead of those two guys? That's uh... – no, that's that's bad. Garrett Cole is fucking unbelievable. Garrett Cole has lost a regular season game since May. I mean, to me, Cole should be ranked right at where Scherzer is. It should be whatever order you want to put them, Cole, DeGrom, Scherzer. There you three ninety. Going down the list a little bit more, at 6-7, and seven, you have Kershaw and Steven Strasburg. I think those need to be flipped. I would put Strasburg ahead of Kershaw at this point. Um, yeah, especially given the postseason. Walker Bueller is at nine. Zach Greinke is at eight. I think those two need to be flipped. But then my question is, you know, are we at a point in baseball where A, Greinke's still at in the top ten, and B, Walker Bueller is already in the top ten? Um, I, I don't think so. I, I'm trying to think who I would put in over them. Especially in a, who, I mean, who's... Who's not there that should be? I don't know. And that's, I mean, I'm looking at the Cy Young vote from last year. I wouldn't have Charlie Morton higher than them. I wouldn't have Shane Bieber yet. I'm not going to have like Lance Lynn and Mike Minor. You know, nope. Ryu, Ryu was fine. They, they seem to be rewarding past performance. So maybe you put Kluber in there still as a 90. Yeah. I mean, Ryu, I wouldn't put in there. Flaherty, I think, is like a notch below Bueller. Just Flaherty, yeah, trending up, but only done it the one season. So, yeah, I guess that's okay. And then Kirby Yates at 90. 
Um, he's no. I, I guess my question is, if you want to have Kirby Yates in front of Chapman as a relief pitcher, I get it. Kirby Yates is the best-ranked relief pitcher in the game, but how is Hayter not the best relief pitcher in the game? I would want Hayter. Like, Hayter is a real-life video game player. Yeah, Hayter only strikes people out. Uh, it's unbelievable. A, they'll never learn. These guys don't learn. And on that note, before we get Spectre on the tube, did you read that article with uh, the Wilmer Flores trade on MLB.com? I read pieces of it. So, you know, for those who forget, Wilmer Flores in 2015, um, he was going to get traded along with Zach Wheeler um, to the Brewers for Carlos Gomez. And then Flores notably cried during the game when he heard he was going to get traded. Trade fell through. Mets got Cespedes made it to the World Series. Um, First off, to me, Flores and Wheeler for Carlos Gomez would have been a very bad trade, but maybe that's the revisionist. Um, But the interesting note... That's a the terrible thing is that trade falling through led to Mike Fires um, going to the Astros. So if that trade didn't fall through, who knows if we have the whole sign stealing scandal. But to me, the most interesting part is, and this is something I didn't know, the Astros ended up getting Gomez, and one of the guys they sent to the Brewers was Josh Hader. Yeah, Hader would have fit in real well in, uh, in Houston. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about – a bullpen that was already pretty dominant the past three, four years. If they added Hater, uh, the rest of the I was talking about more, more of a culture fit, given his tweet, his Twitter history and the Astros scumbag history. They would have been uh, racist and cheaters then. I guess they were. They're already racist. They have you know Guriel in the locker room, but they're racist cheaters and and um, a landing place for uh, domestic abusers. Big fun over in Houston. Um, I, I would not agree, but to each his own, I guess. Big fun. Clearly trying to be sarcastic there, but thank you anyway. <laughs> yeah, I got you. But yeah, I don't know. That's like on, just on paper, giving that guy up, not a good move. Bryce and I have the privilege of welcoming back to the show after probably what I'm going to say is like an around an eight to nine month absence. The one, the only Spock. Alex Spector. Alex, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thank you. Good to good to be back. Yeah, it's been uh, it's definitely been about eight or nine months because the playoffs hadn't happened yet, and uh, and 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 I yeah, I mean a lot has happened since then. We still haven't seen much baseball, so that is the that's necessary. true. You haven't missed much baseball. You, you yeah. kind of left me. Uh, you left at a good time, but that's right. I'm Can't. doing my best. I'm doing my best to uh, to fill your shoes, Bryce. I hear you're you're incredibly entertaining on the show. So, I have my moments. I have my moments, as you should. Sometimes so, I'm a little bit performance enhanced, and those are good shows. Well, that's how you do it. We talked about this, Chase. That's how you do it. I got coffee today. I'm uh, it's a sat- beautiful Saturday afternoon here in Westport, Connecticut. Perfect day for baseball, honestly. <laughs> Dude, that was all I could think this past Monday. It was like 65 and sunny in Livingston. I was walking around town, and I was like, man, I'm supposed to be in the Bronx tonight. This could not have been better weather for my first Yankee game of the year. Right, dude. So I live um, in my backyard. There's like some woods, and if you go through the woods, there's uh, Greens Farms Academy. It's like a private school in Westport, and there's uh, they have a baseball-softball field. And when I try and be athletic, I go and I run around. It was – yeah, it was like that. It was like 60 and sunny, and – I was doing my laps around, and part of me wanted to stop and just be like, she, she takes a batting practice here. 
it's it was such a beautiful day and it's so sad but made up for it i watched major league two last night so i feel like i got some baseball in all right so you you just jumped the gun a little bit but yeah when i asked you to do this i said you know the only three movies we've talked about are the bench warmers rookie mm-hmm. of the year and basketball uh, what movie do you want to do? And surprisingly, you know, there was no consideration for the first major league, which is considered one of the best baseball and sports movies ever. Uh, you instantly, with no hesitation, said, we're talking about major league two. Uh, yeah. give, me, give me a little bit of that thought process. Yeah, so very odd. Um, I've always thought enjoyed major league two more than major league one. Um, I think it's because it used to always be on TV. And when I would scroll through like the movie channels, it would be on and I'd watch it. So I've seen it a lot more than I have Major League One. But I actually didn't realize until um, easily within the last year or so that Major League One was generally considered significantly better. And that Major League Two was considered a massive flop. I didn't realize that. Um, But the reason I like Major League Two so much and the reason I want to talk Major League Two is because it features the greatest scene in the history of baseball movies. And, uh, and I watched it last night and got absolute and got chills. Once again, the greatest scene in the history of, uh, baseball movies is not, uh, does not, has nothing to do with, if you build it, they will come. It has nothing to do with shoeless Joe Jackson having a catch in the outfield. It has everything to do with wild thing coming in out of the bullpen, intentionally walking to face Jack Parkman, that entire five minutes, Wow, that's that is the greatest scene in the history of baseball movies. That's, that's your favorite cool. scene. Yep, my favorite I scene. Think I like uh, my favorite Rick Vaughn scene is real early in the movie when he goes on with Leno and he starts talking about the uh, the carjacking, the interstate joyride, and then he somehow ties it into a his cousin married a transvestite judge in Colorado, and this is all while uh, he's trying to clean up his image. So yeah, he doesn't do a great job. Well, Charlie Sheen is famous for not being able to clean up his image. So Spectre, you know, based on those two points you just made, I got a two parter for you. Uh, yeah. The first one is, you know, if you're Jake Taylor, if you're Rick Vaughn, you know, do you as Alex Spectre, would you have the balls to intentionally walk a hitter to set up the Parker versus Vaughn showdown? Um, and the second question that you, know, you mentioned, Charlie Sheen is a little bit crazy. You know, how dedicated of an actor do you have to be in your mind to do what Charlie Sheen did to prepare for this role, which was cycle on anabolic steroids to look like a real baseball player. Yeah. So, uh, part one question, the answer to that is it's a terrible decision. It's a horrible baseball decision. You're facing a middle of the road hitter with your fat, your best pitcher. Well, I, you know, here and there, your most talented pitcher and you bring him in to intentionally walk him to face the the best hitter on the team it's a terrible decision and if i'm if i'm the manager there i'm not doing that and if i'm rick vaughn i'm also not doing that but that's why rick vaughn's a wild thing and i'm alex specter the uh average jew from westport and um but you know what if you're an athlete and you have drive and you're focused on something and you want to do something and you have that killer attitude why not by all means yeah the base from a baseball sense that's that's dumb oh yeah the x's and o's that it doesn't add up i wonder how that changes if there's uh, if there's you know playing money ball you know like 
Maybe Moneyball says walk him if Parker is just a, a home run. He's, if he's an all or nothing guy, maybe you're, you have a better shot with him. Maybe he's and there's, really, there's no proof in the movie that, that Parkman's not a, a home run or bust guy. He either hits a home run or strikes out in the movie. He could so very maybe, he could very well be uh, Crush Davis. That is true. Are you guys taking steroids though? If you're playing Rick Vaughn in the movie, um, so. Sorry, Bryce. You can. I am probably not. I. It's like, I. I just. You know. I. I think my baseball acumen's good enough as is, and I have that build already that I don't need to bulk up so much. I would practice. And Charlie Sheen played high school ball. Like Charlie Sheen yeah. was a good pitcher. He was a like a very good high school baseball player, apparently. Which Charlie Sheen knew he was doing already, but again, he is the wild thing, and wild thing got do some wild things. So apparently in high school, Charlie Sheen was throwing like upper 80s. And like, I don't know how, I mean, that movie's nine, I mean, 89 is the first one. Also, I didn't realize that, that Major League Two came out five years after Major League One. Do you know that? Nice little distance apart. Yeah, so they're like completely different people, Um, which is why, you'll get into it, but why Wesley Snipes doesn't appear for the second one. Yeah, I mean, before I get into that and ask that question, I mean, for me, the steroids thing really comes down to, I mean, look, my dick's small enough as it is. You know, no one's going to believe I'm a major league pitcher anyway. You know, let me take my chances on just natural ability. Um, yeah, but you got the you got the the the, the Bartolo Colon thing going for you. You could come out there and and let it. Dude, let me go out like David Wells, pack a lib, slug some Jack Daniels, and just give me innings. Yeah, dude. You know what's funny? This is totally random, but I uh, I found you know I'm home for the quarantine, obviously, and uh, I found a box of um, little like journal entries or poems that I had to write in, I, I think it's fourth grade. It seems like fourth grade is the right time. And it's just a lot of me talking about, um, you know, early on, I'm talking about how the Red Sox just won the world series. So it's fourth grade. Yeah. Talking about how the Red Sox just won the world series and you know, how upset I was and I'm at game seven of the ALCS. And then, um, and then as the year goes on, you know, Randy Johnson becomes a Yankee and it's me writing about that. And I'm talking about how the Yankees and Red Sox are going to compare in 05. And I haven't looked this up yet, but according to me, in 2005, David Wells was a Red Sox? Yeah. I don't David remember Wells. that at all, but I wrote about it. Yeah, man. Well, the proof's right there. You have the notes. You are your own baseball historian. I know. And we have a David Wells. He was like, and I think that was his last stop. Yeah, really trust me. People forget Red Sox great. David Wells. So, you know, we talked about Rick Vaughn just now, and the two main characters in this movie, you know, you have Rick Vaughn, his, you know, story from convict to, you know, dynamite relief pitcher, and then the other guy is Willie Mays Hayes, who shows up for a tryout uninvited and becomes the team's leadoff hitter. Um, I know the answer for Bryce was no, because he was very confused when I told him, but did they really think that viewers weren't going to notice that, you know, Wesley Snipes became Omar Epps in the second movie, or did they just think, oh, it's, you know, a skinny black dude. No one's going to notice that we changed the actor. Well, I got to tell you, I didn't, like Bryce, I didn't realize until until you pointed that out uh, before I watched last night. You said, that. I was like, wait, what? And I had to look it up. I didn't realize, and you know, to be, to be fair, they do look pretty similar. So, it, it, I mean, they do. And it was, so I was a little surprised by that. And so I did actually a little digging on it, and that's when I realized that the two movies were made five years apart. And so when uh, Wesley Snipes was in Major League One, he was like a not really well-known actor, but 
you think about how famous somebody can become in five years. White men can't jump. Yeah, I mean, by the time by the time Major League Two came around, that role wasn't even in his like wasn't even in close to the realm of roles that he was in. So for all the credit, all the credit we gave Charlie Sheen for being a good athlete, the opposite is uh, supposedly true for Wesley Snipes. Really? Uh, Yeah. If you look back and watch the uh, major league, like Wesley Snipes doesn't know how to run. It's also Bryce to echo off that. I watched white men can't jump the other day. And it's like of Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson. One of them is very clearly supposed to be the better basketball player of the two. And Wesley Snipes just doesn't know how to dribble a basketball. For what it's worth, Woody Harrelson is quickly becoming one of my favorite actors. I've watched a lot of random shit with him in it recently. He's unreal. I watched Zombieland 2 with him this morning. Good movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, Chase, did we watch Zombieland? We watched that other weird Eisenberg movie. Together? Yeah, which one was that? It wasn't Woody Harrelson. But I like Woody Harrelson, too. We'll we'll, we'll table that one because I don't know. Um, I watched the three billboards outside uh, Ebbings, Missouri. Dude, that is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen in my entire life. And he's incredible in it. Yeah, no, it's great. Watch another one with him. Um, I'm blanking on the name. Whatever. I mean, Woody Harrelson is like uh, is is all time. I can't fuck. I gotta ask. I gotta remember that. I before I'm off on this, I will have the name of that movie for you. But yeah, Woody, Woody Harrelson is uh, not going to be in any movies like Major League. Um, but one of well, the one of the big things about Rick is you know in this movie Rick Vaughn, you really see the transformation from wild thing pretty much like pretty boy pansy who signs the big million dollar contract and is super cared about you know super cautious about his arm he's all about promoting himself you know bryce mentioned before he was on jay leno um so which of rick's pitch names is your favorite the terminator the eliminator or the name by jack parkman the masturbator um the terminator i like the eliminator. i mean they're all ridiculous you know who names their pitches and I get that it's like a branding thing, but um, but like when he's got an, o, an ERA over six, you know, it doesn't even matter what you're naming your pitches at that point. Like they're all they all seem to be masturbators. The way, just the way throw, they, throw with the one all every the whole time. What was there a difference between the Terminator and the Eliminator Chase? I think one was in my mind. It's kind of like the difference between like a four seam and like a two seam fastball. Maybe like they never explicitly say it. Well, one of them, he was trying to make like a, a mixture of a split ball and a slider or something, or a, a four ball. That, and a you can tell that you watched the movie last night if you're pulling I, that up. I did. I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, that's he says that at a point, and that's that's the name of one of the pitches. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. I think that uh, when you after you have one, se- like, there's a lot of times in baseball where this guy has one really good season pitching, and um, and that's kind of it, you know? And they never really come back. Like Jabba, uh, Francisco Aaron Liriano, Joel Aaron Small. But, like, guys that, like, Aaron Small, everyone was sort of like, this guy's a fluke. But, like, Jabba, Francisco Liriano, Joel Zumaya, like, those guys were, like, those were big-time young players. You see it more with, like, it's with the hard-throwing guys who can't really exactly. develop secondary. It's, it's kind of an interesting story, like, underrated storyline that has, you know, now we're – you know, 25 years after that movie was put out, but there's so many pitchers that come in and throw gas for a couple of years and then their careers are over. 
and they never really get paid. Spectre, do you remember how Joel Zumaya's career all but ended? It's something with his elbow. Right, let me close this window. I'm freezing. He, but... he injured his back playing Guitar Hero. Is that true? And he was never the same after that. It's like one of the flukiest injuries in baseball history. I feel like we've actually talked about this in the past. Probably. Um, so yeah, two, I have to look that up. So two, like, you know what? If you look up Joel Zamaya, you get a you get a four non blondes video first. Hmm. Am I looking at the wrong Zamaya? I'm looking at the wrong Zamaya. Interesting. So two big additions to the team in this movie. Um, you have Rube Baker, the catcher who Jake Taylor mentors, uh, and his claim to fame in the movie is kind of being like a country bumpkin uh, who reads the Playboy centerfold, but legitimately reads them. He's not looking at the naked women at all. He like wants to know their interests and everything. Um, then you have Hiroshi Tanaka who comes over from the Japanese league middle of the season. He's telling Pedro Serrano um, that he has no huevos. He has no stones. Um, so in your mind, who is the more memorable addition to the team, Rube or Hiroshi? Well, I'm going to go with Hiroshi. I loved Hiroshi. Um, helps that I've been picking up Japanese during this quarantine. But <laughs> when he goes and drops the, uh, you have no models, that was epic. Probably my, an all-time line. Start talking I about think the more memorable character, but I think more important to the team is Rube. I mean, Rube is like, Rube low-key becomes He's like the, the, the driving force of that team. He's the one who rallies the team together. Yeah, I mean, he is the marbles of the team, if you really think about it. He's got the marbles, and, and I give him credit. He can't throw to second base, but, you know, he has a better memory than any baseball player I've ever seen because no matter what month the centerfold is, he knows where they're from, their bra size, their hobbies, their interests, and you got to give a guy credit for that. Does that mean memory, or is he just the horniest guy in baseball? Well, that's what I was going to ask you guys next. Do you think he's, you know, really reading all of these for the content, or it's just an excuse for him to sit in the dugout and look at porn all day. Probably a combination. Yeah. It's weird to just start watching porn in front of all your friends. So, But it's nice to look at beautiful women. So he's probably reading it, and then he'll look at the pictures for a little while longer. than. Uh, all I can, than a, I, what I kept thinking was that if Rube was a catcher in today's game, where, you know, again, like Moneyball and, and statistics and percentages are so important – for how a pitcher, you know, pitches against a hitter and how a catcher calls the game, he would be an unbelievable game caller. Definitely. You know, just knowing everything about every guy that's coming up. Couldn't, couldn't agree more with you. Uh, one character we see undergo a massive transformation from Major League to Major League Two uh, is Pedro Serrano. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Pedro Serrano is the guy that we've seen as the All-State guy for like the past, what, 10, at least 10 years at a minimum. Yeah, it's like what he's known for now. Um, yeah, what a career transformation. So oh, yeah. Pedro Serrano goes from a Joku worshipping cultist um, to a guy who becomes a Buddha worshiper uh, and is afraid to catch balls in the outfield pretty much because he's afraid he might kill a bird or a bug, etc. Um, which Serrano do you guys think long-term – you know, say post-Major League Two, do you think he goes back to Joku or do you think he's going to be a Buddhist the rest of his life? He's a Buddhist, man. I think he figured out – oh, I lost your screen here. Oh, here you are. He figured out how to uh, how to do it, how to be a Buddhist and also hit home runs. 
So at the end of the day, dude, he's still just a fastball hitter. He never hits a home run off the breaking ball in Major League Two. So it's like he's just a fastball home run hitter. So he's like, he's gonna the boot. He, I'm going to throw out a Yankee. He's Marcus Thames. No, he's better than Marcus Thames. But Marcus Thames is like the best hitting coach of, of all time, Loki. Um, That's a terrible – he's a guy – he's like he's like the Dunner. Maybe he's like, he's like, a, he's like a Black Adam Dunn. Dude, he's like Chris Black. Davis. Like not Crush Davis, other Chris Davis. Real life Chris other Davis. Davis. Other Chris, Chris Davis, Davis. is terrible, unfortunately. Quick no. aside, do you, guys, do you guys remember the closer, Andrew Bailey, closed for the Angels for a little bit? A's. He was on the Yankees. Um, did you even know that Andrew Bailey is the current pitching coach of the Giants? Dude, I love shit like that. Anytime you see like a guy that you haven't thought about in so long, and all of a sudden they're like coaching one of these teams. Well, I was reading the Athletic this morning, and they had like a Q and A with him lined up with Giants pitching coach Andrew Bailey, who's thirty five. And I was like, oh, there's no way it's the same Andrew Bailey. And I was like, oh, no shit, you learn something new every day. There's another example of a guy who comes in rookie of the year and then fades real quick. Yeah, you're right. So in Major League Two, at the beginning of the movie. Roger Dorn buys the team uh, for $120 million and then in the middle of the movie sells it back to Rachel Phelps, uh, who we all know wants to see the Indians lose. Uh, so a two-part question on ownership for this one. Um, one, I mean, we saw Dorn play in the first movie. He's, he's most known for that Ole bullshit. This is not a guy who I picture as a star player who's made $120 million in his career. How do you think Dorn got all that money to buy the team? Uh, and two, is Rachel Phelps the worst owner in the history of baseball? Doesn't Dorn wife does Dorn have a rich hot wife yeah has sex with her in the first movie yeah she's definitely hot I don't know if she's rich though well she has dude he is a I mean I think the idea is that he's like a former star player like this is he's like borderline Derek Jeter at the end of his career I think is the idea and granted he's playing in Cleveland for a long time but I mean like Jim he's like Tommy he's like he's like a Tommy like an Indian's lifer who it was like yeah. was super good, but and again, it's been five years, Chase, in real time. But I guess in movie time, it was just movie time. It's one year. It makes no sense. But anyway, yeah. I think I think that I think it's plausible that he made a lot of money. How much they say he needed? One hundred twenty million. I wonder what that is. Well, oh, what were the franchise value back then? Not. Yeah, they weren't even remotely close to what they are now. True. Sure. I'm not trying to didn't have enough money to, so he probably took out a loan or something, like. He didn't have enough money for more than two months of the season. He probably took a fucking bath on that perk on that investment. Like that's an under under told story coming out of Major League Two is he's probably bankrupt after that. Yeah, you're, well, I mean, he sold the he sold the team back, so he got, he got the money back. But for like she said, for a substantial profit. So what you said, Chase, that he bought it for 120 million initially. Got to think he yeah. sold it for half of that, so he lost probably half of whatever. And you got to think he probably took a loan out, so he had to pay that back. Yeah, but he signed Rachel, himself. For Rachel, it's the best of both worlds because she made a shit ton of money and then was able to rebuy the team to try to drive him into the ground. Um, all yeah. that said, she's, she at least in baseball movies has to be the worst owner we've ever seen, right? Yeah, she's pretty bad. Yeah, that, the worst owner, that the woman owner of the Reds was real bad in real life. Yeah, Mark Shaw was a uh, racist and wanted her team to lose at times. Um, Rachel was just not a very kind owner. Um, I, all right, for comparison's sake, this is about 
Um, in 93, the San Francisco Giants were sold for $100 million, And in 96, the Cardinals were sold for $150 million. Okay. So they're in the middle of the road. So here's the- – I know those are more desirable franchises than the Indians. So – yeah, and yeah. it's not really clear how how Dorn is able to buy it, buy the team. But you got to think he's taking on like outside investment. Oh, for sure. Um, like Junior, like Junior couldn't buy the Marlins by himself. Of course not. But it's also kind of funny that she wants to move them to Miami and look at the Miami Marlins. They can't get a fan in the stadium. A lot of irony there. Um, Spectre, you, you you mentioned how rude by the end is kind of like the heart and soul of the team, um, and that really happens when he like rallies the team together after they get into a. Um, internal full bench clearing brawl they don't fight the other team they just fight each other um my question right. for you guys another two-parter um if the whole team on the Indians got into a brawl who are you picking to win the fight and if it was willie mays hayes versus rick vaughn one-on-one who are you guys taking i'll go tanaka in the full team battle um i i trust i trust the japanese karate style i think technique wise he would be throwing something completely different at the rest of the team Everyone would just be going in. If you're not a trained fighter, I think the tendency is just start like, throwing crazy haymakers. But if he has any sort of karate background, just like on technique alone, he'd, he'd win a fight. And he's a self-proclaimed warrior. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think he wins the fight for sure. Um, so, and then Va- so Vaughn against Hayes chases? Yeah. Um... Are we saying Omar Epps or uh, or Wesley Snipes in Major League Two? Okay. The Snipes against Sheen, you got two real wild cards up there. I think Sheen wins, man. Sheen's on the Roy. Sheen's on the juice. Yeah, he's, he's probably got a crazy haymaker, and you got to think that he's like when he's in a fight, he's not being like pretty boy Rick Vaughn, like he. Fight or flight type of thing. He's going back to like wild thing, Rick Vaughn. I'm I'm taking Rick Vaughn. Yeah, so I'm gonna go to answer this question. Um for the full team, I'm gonna hope that Joku comes back like he does briefly at the end of the movie and give me Serrano. Although I think everything you guys said is totally valid and I agree. Um in the one on one fight for Major League Two, I'm gonna say give me Willie Mays Hayes only because he does his own fight scenes with Jesse Ventura at the beginning of the movie and uh you know, hopefully he learned something, even though Rick was previously in prison and you know, I'm sure he learned many, many things on how to fight. Yeah. Also, you got to remember, uh, Willie Mays Hayes is, is, is kind of banged up at the time. He's got the bomb hamstring all movie, allegedly. No. So, so. I have a, a side question. It has nothing to do with anything. Who do you think was ripped off more in American Idol, Daughtry or David Archuleta? Daughtry. Daughtry. Daughtry didn't even make the final two. Yeah, but David Archuleta lost to a better singer with the same name. Next. <laughs> yeah, I'll that one myself. So in this movie, you know, in the major in major league, Jake is the veteran catcher with the aging knees who beats out the bunt to send the team to the playoffs. You know, he finally gets the girl in the end. And in this movie, um, he makes the jump to the managerial role once Lou Brown has a heart attack in the middle of the movie. Um, you know, Lou's famous words were, you know, it's not an excuse for a heart attack thing. Jake says, who's having a heart attack? Lou says, me. Um <laughs> As manager, Jake has two, in my mind, defining moves, and I want want your guys' opinion on which is his best move as a manager. The first one is uh, when he puts Dorn in, knowing Dorn's going to get hit by a pitch to spark a rally. 
Um, and the other is telling the team that Lou isn't going to make it before game seven against the White Sox. Um, even though Lou is totally fine and he specifically said, please do not use me as a sob story. Um, what do you think is better, the motivational speech or putting Dorn out there to get hit? Uh, putting Dorn out there to get hit is a, is a very, very uh, shrewd decision. Very wise move. Uh, so I think that was the right call. He makes a lot of terrible moves throughout. The I thought it was bullshit. Very bushly, a bushly play by Mr. Taylor. Well, he knew you, that the pitcher's inclination to come inside, man. I think it's smart. Yeah, leaned into the pitch. Like if I was the, if I was pitching to the next batter, I beam him in the head. That's like, that's soft. That's well, real soft that. what they did there. Yeah, but I think Serrano was on deck, or was it who was on deck? Was it Serrano? I believe so. Because I think it was Serrano with the go-ahead three-run homer. And he's the big he's the biggest threat to go for he's the biggest home run hitter on the team. So you beam him in the head uh to send a message, and then you're less likely to give up the long ball to whoever came up next. Okay. That's pretty fair. Um I mean now you mentioned, you know, that you think the Parkman Rick Vaughn final showdown. Uh, is the most exciting scene ever in baseball. Where does Jack Parkman rank on your list of sports movie villains? Uh, I don't know. You know, be- you, of, you know he, what I was, when I was watching last night, all I could think about, dude, is this guy is David Ortiz from 2004. He hits no. the home run in game four, hits the big home run in game five, Big home run in game six. It's another home run in game seven. This guy, he was literally, you want to ask what kind of villain was he? He's literally David Ortiz with the Red Sox in 04. Just carrying the team on his back. And, uh, and, and you know, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, but Ortiz smile. Parkman is just a, Ortiz always carried himself with a smile. And Parkman's an asshole. Uh, in 2004. So. 2004, David Ortiz was probably the most hated person in New York. It's true. I was also at that game seven. He sent eight-year-old Jason to a little bit of tears. Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, he – and again, this is like such an – to me, this is like a low-hanging free comparison because he's a catcher for the White Sox. To me, he's A.J. Brzezinski. No, dude. Dude. Polish Hall of Fame, A.J. Brzezinski. You, after this, Google A.J. Brzezinski. He was by far the most hated man in baseball. Yeah, that's fair. But he wasn't that good. He was solid for a little. I agree. Parkman, Parkman was an elite talent, which I guess leads me to my next question. Isn't it interesting that, you know, the Indians traded – they signed Parkman to this big contract and then they trade him to the White Sox? How did they manage to get absolutely nothing in return? You got to think there was some financial considerations. Had to have been know? a massive salary dump, right? You know, yeah. Was that was that Dorn's watch? Did Dorn let that yeah. one go? That was Dorn's last move as owner and general manager. Dorn needed money. He needed money. And you remember early on, I bought that guy. He was like, I bought uh, Parkman. So he clearly had needed money quickly. And so he got rid of Parkman for probably money. All right. I got got two more questions. We never talked talked about the prospects. That's true. I got two more questions for you guys. Uh, The first of which is, you know, the Indians beat the White Sox. They finally returned to the World Series. Um, and even in real life, so it was definitely going on when this movie came out in 94. I mean, the Indians haven't won the World Series since 1948. 
in your mind, they got wild thing back. Willie Mays, Hayes is stealing bases again. Is this the year that the tribe finally win the World Series? It was hot. I don't trust more. I was interested. What do you say? I wouldn't trust Taylor in a big game. He seems to rely on these fluky hit by pitches. Yeah, and, uh, he leaves starters in too long. He really does. And he, yeah, because uh, granted, he get he got wild thing back, so he has the the shutdown back of the bullpen guy, but he really let that guy go almost nine, almost the complete game in game seven, and he gave up six runs. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like that guy should have been pulled a long time, especially in a do or die game. Yeah, you can't I'm allow. That one. Granted, it's a different age of baseball, but like that guy isn't making it out of the fourth inning anymore. Yeah, I'm going to say that they lose for a similar point, just because you know in the first movie you got at least the old lefty, so we know that there is a pitcher other than Rick. Mm-hmm. I mean, do the Indians have any other pitchers to get them through a seven game series? It's not made clear. Literally. They had a team. You don't see anyone else hanging with Rick in the bullpen, but that's mainly by his choice because he's a bit aloof by nature. Um, but that full team brawl, there were definitely 25 guys in that fight at least. So they and have a complete bullpen route. Bullpen never ran in. So bullpen never that's did true. join the fight. Yeah, I, I, think, you know, I think they probably do lose. I don't think he's a – you're right. They rely on a lot of uh, late-inning heroics and like – you know, sometimes that's sustainable, but a lot of times it isn't. Um, I think the morale on the team was very high, so that's always positive. And they had their little – every team that wins the World Series has some little, like uh, – Little juju thing. to them. Yeah, and they had their marbles thing going on. So I think that they they were certainly in the right, you know, position. But I, I don't think – I don't think they have the pitching, and I don't think uh, Taylor's, a, you know – is the right manager for the job there. All right, my last question for you guys is going to be, what do you think is the funniest scene in all of Major League 2? I have to think of something other than the Leno interview. Um, If you guys are thinking, thinking, I can hop in. For me, the funniest scene or bit in the movie there's nothing better than when Lou Brown is celebrating in the hospital. He's going crazy. And the nurse comes in, she goes, and he's just yelling, Oh, I love this shit. It gets me so fired up. Yeah. He, at, the, at the end, he's like, I'm, I'm over England. Yeah. That's probably the funniest <laughs> yeah. scene. But dude, I don't even think we need to talk about the funniest scene. We need to talk about the best scene in the history of baseball movies. When, when the guy, the fan, what's his name? Who's the fan? The crazy fan? Um, the guy, it's it's Randy Quaid's character. I forget his name. Yeah. When he's, you know, so pessimistic, he's like, ah, and they're going to hear the music. And he goes, he's back. He's bringing in Vaughn. Oh, my God. He's back. And then it's pretty clear it's about that. And he comes out with the vest, the wild thing, the whole stadium going nuts. Him coming in, saying he's intentionally walking. He wants Parkman putting on the glasses. I want Miles an hour. Dude, I mean, what an unbelievable! I mean, I had chills watching it. It's the <laughs> best. It's the best, and for, you know, I haven't we haven't gotten baseball in a while, so I missed that. But uh, that scene, man, that is like, it's like Enter Sandman. It really is. Totally. So I love that was that scene was one of the movies that more than Mariano Rivera just being an absolute star and being probably the greatest player we've ever seen play that never got alleged steroids or anything. Um, 
that scene began my love for Mariano Rivera because how cool is the introduction for a closer and then how cool was Enter Sandman? Um, so oh, incredible. Nothing gives nothing to this day gives me more goosebumps than watching Mariano come out for the last time to Enter Sandman. Nothing like it, man. That, yeah. I mean, it, it's like the thing that made me, like, if I was to ever have been a, a very good baseball player, which unfortunately wasn't in the cards. What's your I closer would, song? What was what was my, my closer song? Yeah. That's a great question, Bryce. I don't really know. Give me a minute. What, what would yours be? I'd go in with um, with Skinner. I'd probably go Simple Man by uh, Leonard Skinner. I think that's good. It's drawn out enough. The chorus is long enough. And then you get that everyone could sing along. And at the end of the day, I'm just a, I am quite the simple, I'm just a simple man myself. And I love Skinner. I think, you know, I don't want to rip off the University of Wisconsin right now, but I think mine might be jump around. I want the stadium in an absolute frenzy, having fun, ready to go, knowing I'm about to lock this shit up. Yeah, I know. You definitely want, you definitely want the stadium to go nuts when you come in. Damn, I don't know, man. My, my closer song. It's got to be a song that gets me fired up, too. Um, probably some, some form of Bruce Springsteen. I'm not really sure which song. Spence is coming out of the Born in the USA, and he's got an American flag hat on. And no, it's not the Born you in could the have run in with the flag. That'd be fun. That would be fun. But just a, just a full-on waving the flag? Spectre's coming out of the Born in the USA, and all of a sudden, he's the real-life Kenny Powell. No. Dude, Bruce is pretty clear about uh, about Born in the USA not being a pro USA song. So well, if you I'm listen to it, if you listen to the words, it's definitely not a pro USA song. Oh, it's very anti, very anti USA. Like, yeah, I don't know how that message got lost. Probably because people don't read the history books anymore. Well, now uh, if you, he got to the point where he would perform it, and he wouldn't perform it the way that it was recorded. He would perform it in like a different tone. So people knew that it was not, you know, it was not what everybody thought it was. All right. We could spew politics for a while, um, but we're going to wrap this up. Alex, thank you for joining us. Always appreciate it. Always good to shoot the shit with you. Um, Bryce Spector, any concluding thoughts for this week's show? Um, everybody stay safe. Everybody stay home, wash your hands, all that good stuff. And uh, hopefully we'll get some baseball back soon. Gotten a little hometown jam, so they put a rifle in my hand. Send yeah, me off yeah. to a foreign land. Go it's and kill the yellow man. man. It's about Vietnam. It's That's a, it's really a, anti-Vietnam rhetoric, not, not a pro-USA song. Oh, very anti-USA. And it's funny because when we were campers on July 4th, they would rip that song to wake everybody up. Do you remember that? Oh, uh, we still do. Don't Every, worry about it. Do you? Yeah. you can't say we still do because you don't go to camp on July 4th anymore. That is true. That's not a weird. People forget that. On that note, with Bryce Holden and Alex Spector, my name is Jason Dorsey. And this was the Underdog Sports Baseball Show.